Zampelli found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. Now balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got a lot of carry. That's something extraordinary. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that knows its place, and its place being inside the crease. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular host of the Salty Bulldog, and I'm joined, of course, by the uh, the accountant, the man with all the numbers, Nick Galea. And Nick, as I welcome you to the program, I have to say life is pretty good at the moment. I found my, well, previously missing USB, which means my football manager save lives on. The dogs are within touching distance of the top four, and the Poms are 2 0 down in the ashes. And it's I think it's quite appropriate that as I introduce you onto the program, that being on the Salty Bulldog podcast as you are, you do so while being in perhaps the saltiest country on planet Earth at the moment. <laughs> but it's good to have you on board. It's it's good to it's good to be here, Matt. Um yes, hello to everyone out there. Uh, Yes, yeah, so just to, just to make this very quickly, of course. Um, yes, England is an exceptionally salty country, as I can tell by the uh, by the news broadcast in the morning uh, here in Manchester at the moment. Before making my way up to the heading league test match, of course, uh, I've got to see little bits of the um, of the the test match, no doubt uh, for for Lords. So two 0 up, yes, I I think it's a wonderful time, and two 0 will become three, and that'll become four, and that'll become five. So the Aussies are on the charge and. And the dogs are on the prowl now back again. Admittedly, um, unfortunately, I don't know what happened with last week's episode, to be honest. I think we had some good questions raised in that one. But um, the question is, this match that we played against Fremantle, it doesn't state anything about legitimacy. But again, it's one of those matches where we're restarting again to gradually once more rebuild that reliability, that trust that we discussed um, a fair bit early on in the in the season, you know, across rounds four through to seven or such, four through to eight, to, to build this little bit of, uh, how would I say, loyalty towards the club to say, well, we know what they're doing and we're still believing the journey that is um, unfolding as we speak. Now, a couple of sides, of course, above us and around us are slipping away a little bit, so that has given us a, an opportunity to, to make the most of it. And um, we'll touch on this week's game, no doubt, uh, upcoming game, but it, it provides us with a, with a massive opportunity to to show us what we're made of again. It's a, it'll be it'll be a good test, and yes, no, we we want to reserve time for talking about this week's clash against the Pies. But as we do with most episodes on the Salty Bulldog, we look back at the week that was. And what a week it was for the Bulldogs, both in the seniors and the reserves. We'll start with the seniors, of course. How about this, Nick? These are nice numbers. You'll like these numbers being an, an accountant. 16-6-102, the Western Bulldogs, defeating Fremantle 11-7-73. I believe that's the third time that we've topped the ton this season, if I've got that right. The second time we've done so against the Dockers. Uh did so in front oh. of or in, in front of the crowd that was at Marvel saying that they've concluded you but not myself. 
the goal scorers we've, we've got here, uh, Jamara Eagle-Hagen was the key. We'll, we'll talk a lot about Jamara. We will. There's a lot of well. lot of discussion about him. Four goals for him. Cody Waitman kicked two, as did Aaron Norton. And the singles that I've got here, Marcus Bontempelli, uh, Bailey Dale, Jack McRae, Bailey Williams, Tim English, Rory Lobb, Mitch Hannon, and Lockie McNeil. And then for the disposal getters, no one cracked the 30. It was an unusually quiet afternoon in terms of a disposal yes, front a, for the dogs. It's it's a very different brand of football style, wasn't it? It was. Bontempelli led the way with 27 disposals, Bailey Dale, 25, Jack McRae, 24, Adam Trelaw, 22, and 12 tackles, I might note as well for Trelaw. Liberatore with 21, and Bailey Williams and Caleb Daniel each picked up 20 disposals. And in terms of the coaches' votes, it was Jamari Eugle Hagen who led the way. Of course, we talked a, a lot of. Well, he's been the main, the big, the big talking point rather during the week. He got the ten votes. Uh, Tom Liberatore got four. Bailey L three. Bont and Pelly two. And Jack McRae with one. Bont remains in ninth place in the Player of the Year award or leaderboard for the coaches' vote. So a pretty a reasonably even spread. So it was a difficult sort of match to pinpoint where the three votes should go. Does it sort of surprise mm. you that the that spread is is there, or is there one name that really stands out for you that says, "Yeah, no, that that should be the the one who gets the three? No, genuinely, to be honest, it, I mentioned it to uh, to our mate Brad at the match that um, I was just genuinely surprised about the amount of ball that we had or lack of the the huge numbers that we're normally accustomed to this team. You know, generally we might have at least two blokes touching thirty and, you know, at least another half a dozen between the twenty five to thirty range. You know, we'd generally be, you know, getting at least as close as we can to, you know, three hundred and seventy, three hundred and eighty, sometimes four hundred possessions in a match. And we'd be wondering to ourselves, you know, quality over quantity instead of Oh, sorry, quantity, quantity of quality, quality and that quality. side of things. But yeah, yeah, because that's what we've had. And it just went the other way around more so on this particular occasion. And um, definitely our two best performances of the season have come against the Fremantle Football Club in terms of um, the way we would want to play and, uh, you know, the scope and depth of the win, which was, I think, relatively convincing, um, you know, despite at times that it appeared closer. Uh, in terms of the three votes, personally, for the Brownlow, that is, no, I think it's – I personally think it's definitely – um, as akin to the coaches' votes and quite undisputed by my books anyhow, it was very pleasing to see Jamara get the rewards on the scoreboard because he's been playing some fantastic footy um, over the last, oh, I don't know, the last uh, 10, 10 or so matches, I reckon. And it's there's been some you know discussion about him in the media and a lot of praise singled out. And you know, he's starting to show the title that he was quite befitting of the number one draft pick. And you know we've had the ideas of, um, you know, this, this key forward curse per se, you know, that we haven't had an established um, full forward superstar for the better part of, you know, 30 to 40 years well, since always, Simon Beasley. There's always a flaw with the market. Yes, there's always something. something that comes along, along that curtails their ability. And with Simon Beasley, it was his back. With Kelvin Templeton, it was his knee. With Chris Grant, it was his accuracy. With Tom Boyd, it was his back. Uh, with Jade Rawlings, it was his knee and his inability to kick straight. Tim Walsh, it was his knee. Andrew McDougall, it was his ability. Barry Hall, it was his age. Barry Hall's probably the rare exception. Liam Jones, uh, Jack Redpath, Josh Shackey. I mean, Redpath, is, Redpath injuries, yeah. There's, yeah, something, there's always, there always there, something that's holding them back. And I think with, with Jamara, it's looked like recently it's been his kicking. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to go down this path 
as you open a pack raid. I'll leave you to it. Indeed, I do have to. <laughs> I deserve this power raid, that's all I'll say. No, you, you do. You've done a lot of walking. I'll, I'll let you get on with it. But I, I, you've made a very interesting point that I wanted to, to bring up here, Nick. Now, I was looking at this beforehand, and you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about Jamara, and there's a few things that I want to investigate myself as the week unfolds. But there's a few things that I want to unpack with you here. So the first 10 games of the season, Jamara kicked 10 goals in them. So he kicked and, and in, he kicked five of those came in one match. So he's gone he's gone five games without kicking a goal. He's gone one, zero, five, zero, 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 two, one, one, and zero. So ten goals in ten games. In the last five he was playing good football though. He was. Is- he was. But in the last five games, he's kicked ten goals. So he's doubled his productivity. Now, if I didn't yes. know any better, Nick, this is sounding awfully spikish. Yes, yes. I wonder. Well, I see. wonder if it's arrived indeed. and it's and, and it's, indeed and it's arrived before indeed. we've even noticed it. So since this yes. five, in this five game stretch, three one one three two two zero one and, and four two in terms of and his I think, scores. I think he's averaging in that time seven and a half marks a game. Um, what else has he done? I think he's going, not that he's a massive tackler, but um, I'll tell you, you definitely notice his tackles when he gets them. I think he's going at about one and a half or so in that department as well. Um, and a couple of them, no doubt, around the ground. But it's it's really interesting to see. I think he's going at least two two to three marks inside 50 in that stretch, I reckon, as well. It's it's very, very pleasant to or pleasing to see a key forward like this um, Take a, grain by, take a game by the scruff of the neck in a different sense. You know, we, we got to see, you know, four years ago or five years ago or whatever it is, Aaron Norton uh, do that in the Richmond match. And he's had, you know, games where he's, um, you know, manhandled the opposition, even like that, that Geelong match in 2019 as well, where we could see that, the, that there is a, the raw talent on display. But now you and I have discussed this many a time, and this is not the knock on Norton, because I, I still think that he's been exceptionally impressive despite the lack of forward now that he possesses. He's got forward traits at times, you know, the marking power and the gut running and, you know, all that presence and that sort of things, but not yeah. the forward intelligence because we've seen with his IQ in terms of leading patterns per se. Jamara's got that. He might have different levels of strength, but we get to see that now we're basing the forward line around a natural homegrown forward, someone that has it that instinct in spades and knows when and where to lead and what he can deliver upon. Now, last year we got to see uh, Jamara, um, of course, against the, the D's, uh, what was it, the round 19 game where he kicked five goals and, you know, Rising Star and Brownlow votes that match, okay? Kicked mm-hmm. five goals, which was the, not, not a coming of age game, it was more like, well, let's, this is what this guy can do, you know? And people thought that this was the, the start of something, but, you know, I think that this match against Fremantle, not even putting aside the Brisbane game too, I reckon this is the match that has solidified his position as a budding superstar, okay? And that side of things where we've had players in the past where we, you know, um, have them down as poster boys, you know? Watson Pally for one, of course. We originally had Jake Stringer as a poster boy. We had over the years in the uh, the previous seasons, you know, we had Ryan Griffin as a poster boy, Adam Cooney. We had Brad Johnson, these types of names, Chris Grant, et cetera, et cetera, you know? The ones where we could say, this is who is taking the club forward. Now, 
you you recall I know the, I mentioned also you you'll recall though with with the marketing actually because you, you make a good point you you'll recall i'm sure me saying to you that there's something different about a key forward taking the the limelight this i remember i remember that norton game against richard i remember saying to you there's something different about a key forward coming out taking a big pack mark and going back and kicking the goal like it gets you off your seat the way that no other footballer can I mean, all those other players Indeed. you mentioned have, have really strong traits about them, but the key forward being able to take the big mark and kick the goal is, is different. Just on, on some of the Indeed. things you were saying about Jamara with some of those those numbers, thirty in this five-game stretch, he's taken 37 marks, 20 of them inside 50. and he's that's, played, a, that's a great yeah. stat. The 20 inside 50 shows. Yeah. He knows it's his now. And he's also had, he's also had seven goal assists in that time. And he's laid seven tackles. All the tackles are not right. massive amount, but he does have that presence regardless. I think mm -hmm. even his work rate's improved in there. Now, my points, I think, with Jamara is that people likened him to, you know, Lance Franklin, and there's obviously elements of, say, Jeremy Cameron and his, his mobility. It's nice to see actually a forward for us um, who can go up the ground that still maintains that mobility and now with his movement with ball in hand you know he doesn't look phased in traffic he can deliver the ball inside 50 he knows where to lead when he's inside 50 because he directs his teammate to the space this is where i want the ball to be kicked not we're waiting for one of our midfielders for instance to say this is where i want you to go and then they'll follow for that's what i'm talking about like the the idea of forward iq that norton might not possess for instance yeah jamara is leading to the spot and the midfielder is responding to that lead in comparison to the other way around, we just where, need, where, the, where the forward's following the directive. Now, we just need that spot to be mm, central more so than in the pocket. One other, yes, ideally. One other, one other stat that's very interesting is since, or in the since, if I'm going to go back, since round 11, so since this game against the, uh, or since the game against the Suns, again, the five-game stretch, Jamara has been targeted inside 50 46 times aaron norton has been targeted inside 50 26 times now bear in mind there's you know there was one half where aaron norton was playing in the back line but that's not going to might account for a couple but it's not going to account for the a discrepancy of 20 and i mentioned that jamara's had 19 scores in that time as well not 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 shots but scores Aaron Norton's only... Yeah, so let's add another five or six on top of that, probably. Well, yeah, well, something something like that, I assume. Aaron Norton in that time has had 12 scores. Hmm. It's interesting because this Norton's is now, not in the best form, no, but, but I, I think, think it's good to are... see that he's still able to go through this. You know, He's yeah. becoming a very good foil, which is ironic considering he's meant to be the experienced forward, you know, much like Josh Bruce was when you know we brought him across and Norton became the number one man. Hmm. But this is what it's we, an interesting pair. This is the all of those numbers and that observation there is consistent with what I, I think a lot of people have come to the or a lot of people have concluded based on what we saw over the weekend. This is now Jamara's forward line. This is not this is not Aaron Norton's forward line. This is not Jamara playing off Norton. It's actually the other way around now. Mm, I think I, we I tapped suppose, into that last week or the week before. I reckon I, a little think, bit into that Matt. I think, I think we, we have, spoke a bit about it. I, I think we have. But I think other people are catching on now, and, and I think our belief is small, is slightly more consolidated now, based off another game of evidence 
that shows that mm. Mara is the one yeah. playing as the, the deepest mm. forward. It's it's amazing that it's come, though, via the reward. And I'm talking about the four goals here. He's been playing some very good football. You mentioned 10 goals in 10 games for his first, you know, well, 10 matches, obviously, yeah, this year. Again. And I thought he was very impressive in a lot of them, despite yeah. not hitting the scoreboard as frequently as he should. I felt like there was a lot of games where, well, we sort of mentioned that too with Norton, where we thought he would have a, he's having, not maybe not this year, but for instance, last season or maybe the year before, we'd have very good games for one goal. And ideally, we would have loved to have seen those numbers, you know, extrapolate to two to three. And it seems like in this point in time, Jamara's already from, can, can you just quickly, so just give me the numbers of how many goals he's kicked at this very point in time for this season, please, Matt. Jamara, if you've got them. So he's just Jamara, please. He's kicked 20 goals, 24 this season. Okay, and that is an, add another 10 or 15 non-scores. Now, so 2024, okay, so that's based off uh, 15 matches. Now, Let's backtrack a little bit. We know he kicked a goal or two, I think, in the Hawthorne round 23 game. He got one or two in the Giants round 22 game. I don't recall. I don't think he got one in the in the elimination final. He kicked, what, at least one? Or maybe, no, I think he didn't kick any against so, Fremantle. So, Jamara, this I'm trying is, to go sorry, back to the... Sorry to stop no, you there, Nick, because I've got, I've got the full numbers on Jamara. Thank you. I, I Thank should you. have them on Norton. So, Jamara has had 58 shots at goal this season. Mm-hmm. Aaron Norton has had 51. Uh, Jamara's okay. got 20 goals, uh, 24 behinds, and tw- and 14 no scores. Uh, Aaron Norton has gone 28 goals, 19 behinds, and four no scores. So Norton's mm. accuracy surprises me a little bit there. Yes, it is interesting. I thought it, it would be. But Jamara's had more scores, or more shots at least. And, uh, mm. for, those lo- reckon- for those playing along at home with my preseason uh, predictions. Jamara needs just 30 goals in the last, what we're going to assume is probably 10 games he's got to play for us to get to a grand final, and Norton needs 22. <laughs> so mm. It'd be I pretty nice. Fall, it could work, man. I might fall a little bit short, but I could certainly see a scenario where they both get 40. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would genuinely be fantastic. And imagine that. That's a poor season for Norton despite getting to 40. Imagine yeah. that. We, you know, for a better yeah. part of a decade, we would have we would have been frothing at the idea yeah, of a forward. 40 goal forward. Forward, now, yeah. my, my point is here, from that St Kilda match last year, Jamara kicked three there, he kicked five against the Ds, he kicked mm. three or so against the Cats, didn't get anything against the Dockers that round, he kicked one or two and then one or two again and vice versa. So let's just say that, because I'm just spitballing numbers, that's probably like another, I don't know, 12 to 15 there. So that's like a five or six game stretch. Three against now, the Saints, five against the Ds, yep. two against the Cats. Yep. So that's, that's ten. Uh-huh. Ten. And then nothing against the Dockers, one against the Giants. One in the one last four games. Mr. Hawks or something like that. One in the last four games it was. Four okay, one Saints. last four games. So it could have been, a bit, could have been better there. But yeah. what's the total on those numbers there, please? Because I'm trying to wonder, if you were to add those numbers to the current season, because remember I said, sometimes like you can see form displayed not across the course of an individual season, but you can see... As you mentioned, you know, the idea of the spike, and I like like to mention the term the scope. We got to see the scope at the back half of last year, what he could project to be, and now we're seeing the results a bit more in a, in snippet in a snippet sense. You know, seeing little little teasers of it in each particular match, not in a complete sense, but across the board. And now it's come through, and probably I think his most complete performance as a footballer. So that would be thirty-one goals in his last twenty-two matches. That's all right. Which is there you a, go. Which is a, actually works out quite well because that that works out to 
what we would establish as a full home and away season. Just trying to yes, and that involves three three uh, games of greater than four goals. Thirty-one inclusive two bags of five. Thirty-one goals, thirty-two in twenty-two matches. Uh, but I would say any key forward in his second slash third season who's able to kick thirty-one goals across a twenty-two game stretch is pretty impressive. Hmm. Uh, I'm just going to say this because it's not going to make much sense, but I think <laughs> I think Lance Franklin kicked thirty-one goals oh, no, in no, Nick, no. <laughs> in two thousand and six, okay. and then he kicked seventy-three. So Jamara's just got to get another fifty-something goals this year, which is uh, not might, might not happen. But, but you, you um, make you make a good point that. It, it doesn't necessarily like a, a player's rise to prominence or or, or or the penny dropping moment or the spike, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't necessarily take place in round one of a given season. Normally, what no, you it see is be, it takes place in the second half of a season. And sometimes, you, go, you go, oh, well, that's a decent run of form. And then it gets broken up by six months of no football. And then you sort of you lose sight of what they're actually contributing. And then they come back at the start of the next season and maybe it takes them a game or two to get back into the swing of things. And you know, Jamara had some good performances without a lot of goals in the first 10 games of the season. As I see, he had five goalless games. But there were some really good performances in there. There were some very good zero-goal games. Yeah, but genuinely. And now genuinely. the goals are starting to flow. He's averaging, Touch wooden. Well, he's averaging, Well, he's averaging two goals a game over the past five weeks. It doesn't really matter who you are. That's, that's, that's elite form. If we're going by champion data rankings, that's elite form for a key forward. Anyone averaging two goals a game or more, that is that is considered elite. There wouldn't be many yeah. key forwards who would be, and it doesn't sound like a lot, I know, but there wouldn't be many key forwards that would be averaging that amount over over a five week stretch. I mean that yeah. that is forty. Well, that's if over twenty two game season, twenty three game season. That's forty six goals, which and then is. You, a fine, fine effort. Yeah, and then that that that's top 10 in a Coleman. And then, you know, there might be a final or two you might sneak in there, which gets you to 50. That's a great season. doesn't matter who you are. But I, I think what we're yeah. starting to see now, and I think what we can be really excited about, Nick, is that this is starting to become Jamara's forward line. And it's it's is it, it's interesting. There was there's, – there's an award that they have at, at SCN, and it's a bit of an in-house thing. But they, they have promoted it a bit. It's called the Joel Brooks Medal. And it's I'm not one of the one of the producers there. But it's it's designed to commemorate the best fourth year players in the AFL. Because their sort of theory down there is that players in their fourth season have a habit of kicking on and going from, you know, having done done the apprenticeship and then kicking on to becoming a star of the competition. It's the it's the fourth year players. Jamara's in his third season now, and we're starting to see incremental growth we're going from you know good performances without goals to good performances with goals what could we be looking at in 12 months time if this progression continues he's now well it's now his forward line he's not the apprentice anymore he's in his third season now he's i I think it's fair to say that he's the main man i know aaron norton has kicked more goals i think it's i think that changeover has happened in the last few weeks but i think jamar has been given that responsibility and now we're starting to see what he can do with that and have other players play off him as opposed to having to, or as opposed to him being in a situation where he's got to navigate his way through the more experienced senior members of the side. And it's not to say that they're phasing Aaron Norton out of the side or, or out of the forward line. They, they may well be. They might not be. But I, I think, onto what you say, with forward craft, 
I think it makes more sense to give the keys to Jamara because he's got the understanding of what it takes to be a forward, whereas Norton doesn't necessarily have that, or at least doesn't have it to the extent that Jamara does. And, and that's not a dis, uh, you know, that's not a knock on Norton per se, because I said I think he's, oh God, he's kicked what 150, 160 goals, <laughs> give or take, in his last four respective seasons as a as a pure forward. So, which is absurd, you know, it's exactly what we, what the doctors I, order for us. And I, I I agree with that. I've I've never said he's a bad forward, but I think if you're going to give me a choice between who would I want marshalling the forward line, I would rather Jamara. Mm. And here's the, here's the funny part. Imagine this. Despite what Norton has been able to produce, he could go into the back half of this year and pretend, well, and, you know, arguably next year as our second best forward. Imagine that. Norton playing on the second defender. Oof. It's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Or you could do what I suggested. Faze Norton out of the forward line and the back line, and then have Sam Darcy play off Jamara. Which is also going to be on. <laughs> then we can get Buddy and Ruffhead incarnate, which is what I predicted. I'm just probably a year too early, I guess. For maybe, that. maybe. But I think what we're seeing now is real. We're not we're not sort of hoping or, or trying to predict. I think Jamara's product is, is very real. And we're starting yeah. to see it. We're seeing the performances and we're seeing the goals. And we're seeing more than that, though. We're seeing everything that's – we're seeing everything that you need to be a successful key forward come to pass in terms of the marking, in terms of the marking inside 50, in terms of the opportunities to score, and in terms of the, the conversion. I know the goal kicking is, is still a bit of an issue. Matthew Lloyd made some really interesting points about this. I don't know if you wouldn't have seen any of them. I've watched well, you parts, might not a lot of it, but I've seen parts of it, you, yes. You, you might have. So what Matthew Lloyd was uh, suggesting was that Jamara doesn't hold the football the same way every time. I mean, if you're going to hold a football, normally the laces are pointing towards goal. I mean, that, that, that's how I've kicked it every time. And look, Matthew and I have combined for 926 goals at the elite level. I think we know I think what we're talking about. I think the only similarity that you have is your first name. <laughs> We're I reckon left. that's pretty much... We're both left okay, both. okay, that's where the... Okay, fine, I'll give you two. I'll give you that one. That's two and your first name. And like, well, like I say, we've combined for a lot together at, at AFL level. Jamara doesn't always hold the footy the same way, though, going for goal. I mean, if you're kicking for goal, generally, and, I, and I suspect it's almost universal, the laces point towards the goal. But not all of Jamara's kicks do that. And, that, and it was something that Lloyd picked up at the weekend. What I'm going to do over the course of the, the week is I'm going to try and look back at some games that the Dogs have played this year and see how often he does that, whether it's just a one-off thing or whether this is consistent. Because the goal-kicking has been a bit of an issue with Jamara. If that's all it's going to take to fix it, because we've questioned what's going on, because this you've said to me he was never like this in his junior days, and I've said, well, this is the key for Not at all. Not at, this is not the key at all. Curse. I remember bringing it up to you two pre-drafts um, and even the year before because I was, oh, we all were shattered in different senses, you know, when, you know, just to bring it up, when COVID occurred. Um, but I was annoyed in a different context on a sporting side of things because I was thinking, I was really looking forward to seeing how Jamara would have gone in 2020 in the VFL. Now, he, wouldn't, he yes. wasn't going to get drafted, but I know that Footscray and, and the Western Bulldogs Football Club were going to you know, Even playing as much as they to, could to get him yeah. to get him used to our systems because we were definitely obviously going to take him. And I was, you know, excited at that idea. 
And the fact that this is his third year and obviously other footballers have come off with, you know, football taken away from them at that point in time for the better part of 12 months to 18 months. And the fact that he's coming on, I think as quickly as he has, not just reliant on the goals. That's what I've told you about other forwards too, that and it's, it, sounds, it sounds a bit weird to say, you know, you to criticise a forward for only kicking goals, okay? Like, I mentioned that to you about, like, Harry Mackay and, ironically, even the even the King brothers, okay? And I do rate those yeah. guys, of course, well, but a... if their contribution to a game is solely fixated between the goal posts, what else do they add? And that's what I'm saying. We got to see this year, Jamara has had very good matches of football despite the goals not being there. Imagine yeah. when he puts it together as he had last week, and if it becomes something semi-regular, imagine his best games being a 10 mark four to five goal performance not and that's the scope what i'm saying it mm. reaches to these levels and that's again the spike that will constantly keep you know hopefully um increasing in that trajectory and his poor games his his seal or his lower ceiling um the floor that is sorry might only be a two goal forward which if that's a poor performance and we mentioned that about rory lob in the um in yeah, the Brisbane yeah, game, we, Brisbane game, we had a poor, he had a poor match. He hit two goals. What was the margin for that yeah. game? Two and a half goals. It paid, it, it paid itself off. You know. Yeah, I think I see it a little bit differently with with you to key forwards, and and I've I've said this about Norton in the past, and I said, look, you can bring all these great things to the table, but you're a forward. You got to kick goals. I mean, you know, we, and we've said that Jamara's had some pretty good zero goal games, but your job as a forward primarily is, is to hit the scoreboard. But you're not much used Indeed. to you're not Indeed. much used to a team if you're playing at full forward and you're not kicking goals. So like I, I get what you're saying that it's it's great to have all these these other other traits, but they're desirable. They're not required. Kicking goals is a requirement for a key forward. Being able to take big pack marks and being able to chase and harass and, and apply pressure, that's all desirable. But I mean you you've got to be kicking goals to be able to keep your place in the forward line. I think that's I mean, that's always been the case. No, no premiership side, except for us, probably in twenty sixteen, has been able to to do so without a good dominant key forward. You need one. You do. Most most teams you need do. two, but but you got to, The point is, you got to have a focal point that's going to get you goals. You go through any premiership side of the decade; they'll all have at least one, probably even two. Some of them. Oh, you push it back even till the. Jeez, you can keep going back till I don't know the last 30, 40 years if well, you really want to. Well, I mean, before yeah, that, well, probably, yeah, but exactly. But it's it's yeah. but it's 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 an essential part of the ground. And of course, you know, goals are goals. But again, some goals are worth more value than others. You know, Absolutely. like Jai Amos's game. I think he kicked four goals from I don't know a, a collective. 20 metres distance from the goal square. Mm. You know, Jamara's yeah. four goals were a lot different. That is not to say that Jai Amos isn't a good footballer because he's come on very quickly for a second-year player. But on... I think the... Oh, sorry. No, I think ahead. the context is a bit... No, but I think the context is a bit different in terms of how they play their football, you know, whether they're um, trying to start off their career as the man or, you know, how they get their goals. You know, kicking a goal from 10 metres out from a hand pass over the top or some ground that will play is impressive and it still counts the same as six points on the scoreboard. Yeah. But some things in football are a bit more intangible than others. How impressed were you with the fact that the Dockers hit the front in the last quarter? And I think we all sort of saw where it was going. This is going to be one of those ones where it's still a kick in it with five minutes to go. We've seen the story so many times, but the dogs pulled away. 
They kicked yes. They kicked seven of the next eight goals and they put the game out of sight. It's it's not something that we associate with the dogs, being able to rattle on a bunch of goals in quick time and being able to kick away from the opposition. How impressed were you by that? It was fun to watch, seriously. We were nine goals at three-quarter time. We ended up on 16. It's marvellous, isn't it, to see that happen? Uh, you know, It's incredible, like, in this day and age where, again, different side of things with defensive um, strategies are implemented. But the idea of, you know, four goals a quarter is is quite a challenge now, isn't it? Whereas, yeah, you know, previously, like Terry Wallace, Terry Wallace used to bring up, you know, the nice, you know, four goals a quarter, you know, you kick 16 goals, generally that'll win you a game, and it will win you a game. But it doesn't sound like much, but it, it's a lot harder to do. So whether we get there in one quarter or three quarters or however many it takes, just just get there. I wouldn't, mind, win a 16, the match. I wouldn't mind a 16 goal quarter. <laughs> yeah, imagine, imagine that, 64 <laughs> goals in a game. We'll still probably find a way to kick 100 behinds, but imagine that. It's like country football sometimes in the Riddle District Creek, possibly, maybe. But uh, uh, what was that other team that we found? I think I think it was Thornton. Thornton Eildon. Now, Jesus, that that brings back some memories. (laughs) Oh dear. Can Um, we? Can we? What can can I reckon? Can we reserve some praise? In fact, I want to reserve a lot of praise to Riley West for getting the ball rolling. Yes, 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 yes. There was a. I can't recall where I've seen. I looked it up this morning, but I swear I saw someone write that. That's right. It was on the Raw. I enjoy the Raw. Um, you know, it's like a forum fan piece uh, website. You know, where they can just put up articles and whatnot. And someone on there had the best performance by a sub this year. And it's true. You know, he had a, he had a fantastic outing, didn't he, Riley West? You know, everything contributed to a goal or a score in some fashion. The impact that he has with his touches. We got to see how talented he was. Again, to the back half of last year, and you and I and. I'm sure many others were were disappointed by his departure from the the side in the back end of the season. You know, the round 20, uh, 23 and yeah. you know the final, for instance. We're a bit puzzled by that because you and I are quite confident that this guy has the style to succeed not only at um, you know home and away football, but he's got that killer instinct that is ready for finals. And yeah. I've mentioned this. Yeah, it's a yeah, stupid yeah. word. It's a stupid word, but he, he's got it. Yeah, we're confident this he, guy has got it. He he reminds me very much, and I don't know whether it's the number or the style of play, but he plays the way Clay Smith does. There's, yes, it's kamikaze no, in that yeah, side no, of things. Yeah, he 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 goes for it. I mean, you make a great point about the the sub of the year or the performance of the year from the sub. Not that I've put any real thought into it. I can't think of any that really stand out. I'm sure there are. But, I mean, there's been a lot of subs that have been activated this year. There's only only two occasions there hasn't been a sub activated. And Toby McLean, I'm sorry, McLean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen often. I mean, I, I would. I mean, Bo McCreary has been used as a sub this year. I'm sure he's had a, an impact. Who, off the bench who was the? Might have been I wonder who year. was the sub. Might have been the uh, the first game. Or was it the second game of the season? The Geelong uh, Collingwood game. Reef McInnes. He had a that, very that, promising moment. I think that, he, that'll be the one. Yeah, he kicked three goals in the last quarter. That that would probably be it. Uh, but you know, West played a hand in in three goals in a row. He was he set up a goal. He was he was uh, had two goal assists in a row. He roved the pack and dished off to Cody Waitman, and then he uh, and then with the next one he kicked it inside fifty to Norton, and with the third one he was part of a team holding the ball free kick. He sort of joined in with the tackle with McRae, and McRae got the free kick and kicked the goal. Mm. But that's when the game Different. was up for grabs, and Riley West has come in yes. in five minutes. Five minutes has changed everything. 
Yes, I tell you, look, a different year, but again, it wasn't the season that we would have liked to have had. But that goal that he did kick, coincidentally, against the Fremantle Football Club um, on his debut in 2019, that is definitely one of my most favourite football moments. One of the what, it was what a day that was, eh? It was exciting. Now, let's, here we go. Just quickly uh, roll through. 21% game time. He only had five touches and two tackles, okay? But yes, first he had a spillage inside 50. At ball at the gate, pace slicing through the contest to gather and give a sharp handball to Cody Waitman, who did the rest. It's beautiful. 30 seconds later, yep, West brings the ball to ground against Hayden Young, recovers and quickly dishes it off to Aaron Norton. He then goal, of course, and in as many, you know, in the space of as many minutes he had played, he already had as many goal assists as any other player on the ground. It's brilliant. Mm, it is incredible. Five five touches, two goal assists, three score involvements, and you know, half a dozen or whatever it is, game changing moments in that time frame. Now hopefully the- hopefully he can become whether he plays as a sub again, but we know that this guy has got best twenty two football. I'm not saying best 23 because it's the sub and things, but we know that this guy is a best starter. He can be. Now, that was my next question. Before. He's had a terrific impact as a sub. We, we go, read we read between the lines, yeah. you and I, I tell you. Do, do, do you go, right, well, we know you can do it as a sub, so we're going to keep you as a sub, or do we go, no, that performance deserves a starting spot, so we're going to give that to you? Which way do the club go on this one? There's no doubt he plays this week. He's not, you're not going to drop him off that. It's just whether you start him or whether you, whether you say, well, we know you can do it as a sub and we don't know if we've got anyone else who can do it as a sub. So we're going to keep you in that role. Hmm. Because well, I think, the only I think other be, options are like to, Hannon or, or McNeil. They're the only two real options, many, aren't they? How many players in the competition, I can't think of many, how many players in the competition are used as an impact sub? Oh, it's been a while since we've had a what was his, what was that uh, fellow's name? Would, Nathan Lovett Murray became the equivalent super sub. Luke Bruce became the original super sub, and of course Gia for us because, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think most clubs pick the twenty third best player to be their sub, and it's not necessarily the player that's going to have. It could just be the 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 most dour stopper or, or tagger in the in the side and they go, oh, we're just gonna make you the sub. But it's not necessarily someone who's going to come on and have an impact. Now like who would now you're not it's not you're not necessarily going to put your most impactful player as the sub because they could be yeah, imagine that just say right. just say it right now. Bonton Pally mate, how do you feel playing five minutes a game? <laughs> exactly. So it's not it's not necessarily going to be you you like and when I think of impactful players, I, I think of somebody like a, a Bonton Pally or you know, for, for Brisbane, Zach Bailey, who's, who's one of my favourite players, you wouldn't make him the sub because he's too valuable. But he's someone who can turn a game on its head very quickly, as is Bontempelli. So you want someone who's probably not in your top, you know, four or five most important players, but he's still someone who can come on and change things for you. Now, Riley West fits that mould. Like, he's not... If you're putting together a team, you're not going to accommodate him into the first four or five picks... But you know he can have an impact if you bring him into the into the game late on, and he can play a couple of different roles as well. You can put him in the midfield, you can put him in the forward line, which also is a, is a good is a good tool for a sub to have. You wouldn't put a tall fellow as a sub, a ruckman or a full back or something like that. At least imagine if you did, that'd be very well. I think we 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 had Jordan Ruffhead as a sub once way back in twenty twelve, and we subbed him on for an injured Rob Murphy. Oh, well. 
We try not to think about the 2012 season, Matt. You should not bring that up anymore. Oh, screw it. What the heck? You remember, like, we were talking about, you know, how things can formulate across a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Do you recall where the stretch from 29, uh, 2012, uh, midway through the year, till round eight, eight 2013? We had only had one of 20 matches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was tough. <laughs> bring it up. So, in in a word, West sub or start? Uh, start, mate. I reckon. And the tricky part is finding that sub. But that doesn't mean the sub's going to have to do the same thing that West does. Because imagine, you know, someone that can win a game of football in five to ten minutes. It's incredible. It's hard enough to do with, let alone across four quarters. Mm. But now, it'd be very interesting to see. Well, we know that this guy's got the talent to to be best starting football and whether that's as a small forward or whether that is as a as a rotation mid i would like to see him actually get some more central minutes because we need to and you and i've brought this up many a time and i'm going to bring it up now again the post liberatore hole mm. the spot's there the spot is there riley well the spot's there but uh, josh dunkley leaving as well one person who i indeed, would absolutely who I'd absolutely love to see win the game would be Caleb Poulter. I'd love to see him play a lone hand and win the game this week against his old side, the Pies. Finally got his opportunity at the weekend. A reasonable performance, I suppose. I mean, I've seen worse debuts. 12 disposals, three marks, one tackle, uh, five score involvements, and a goal assist. What did you make? He's only 20. Yeah, he's, he's, only a, he's, a, he's a second-round pick. Well, I think I, I'm not sure what was going on with that. Like Collingwood gave up on him after two seasons. A second-round pick, you'd think you'd invest a little bit more time into that. Like, not a top 10, but if you're taken in the second round of a draft, you must have some ability. And I would think that as a club, you'd want to invest a bit more into trying to realise that talent and, and potential. I feel like Collingwood gave up That's on him a, a bit too easy. You, you sound like you're... You know, reciting what I'd be thinking in the context of back the youth or back the talented youth, harness that potential that mm. they do have. Now, the, the interesting thing is here, like with I've brought up to, we need to find a way how to restock our midfield on the run. That doesn't necessarily mm. always mean going to the draft per se. This works though, because he's young enough, he's got talent, and there is time for him to learn from our, you know, our stars and the, our midfield generals. It's it's a very important one. It's only one game, but again, there is still that talent that we will be able to harness, and we do need those other midfielders coming through. You know, so the opportunity is there for West. So the opportunity is there now for Poulter. So the opportunity is still there for Bailey Smith to reestablish himself as a you know budding uh, budding star of the future, and he can be a player that can take this new core group going forward in that side of things. Now, it's impressive because. For Poulter's performance is that we've fallen short, I reckon, on a few occasions again for that um, you know bottom end talented uh, talent side of players. You know we've always we've mentioned even on last week's episode uh, we'll have a chat about that. We've got to see what happened. That's where our top ten players are exceptionally talented, but the next you know dozen or so aren't able to pull up. The, the heavy yards and do that that heavy lifting to support them appropriately. Mm-hmm. By then our top ten blokes are burnt out. Now, this strengthens that back end of the 23 that we will have, you know, the likes of, of Poulter and, and other prospects potentially, you know, which again increases the 
lack of need and reliance on the top 10 and it also eases the responsibility of the next tier of players from having to overwork themselves to to, to make up for that gap in talent per se um, between them and the top shelfers now ideally i'm i was very pleased to see that he got picked up and i was quite interested to see you know pre-season that he was a player that was put on Footscray's list. And naturally, if you're put on Footscray's list, you know, there's a large chance you will get drafted. In these days, there's a large chance you will get drafted by us. But If you want, if you want to get on an AFL club, the best chance is to get on Footscray's list. Yeah, seriously, it's a, it's a, it's interesting when it works in that in that fashion. But do, do you see Polter you know, he's, he's as, young enough. Do you see hmm? Polter as exclusively a midfielder or do you see him as a winger? Because I asked you a question at the weekend. I, I asked because I know you love your you you love your your wing combination of an offensive winger and a defensive offensive winger and defensive winger. Do you see Polter as the defensive winger, or do you see him as a midfielder? Because I don't uh, deep, I don't see him uh, as an offensive winger. I think a potential offensive winger we saw play at the weekend, but he wasn't necessarily wearing red, white, and blue. Mm. Yeah, that we'll talk a bit about that as the year progresses. I reckon for this individual that you've noted there. Now, yeah, very good first no, half. It? He had a very ordinary second half, though. Like he found the footy. Well, this is obviously Liam Henry. We, we've spoken a, a bit about that before. Kalsumi's reported it, that the dogs are interested. I had a bit of a chat with uh, Duck about it on the uh, on Purple Rain podcast last week. Tried to get a bit of, bit of an insight into what Liam Henry's all about and. I was a bit surprised to hear Duck say that he's more of a winger these days when, I mean, my my understanding was that he was sort of more of that small, crafty forward. Was, was. But he started to find a yeah. lot of form this year as that winger, the last few, least month or so. Now, look, um, Polter definitely has a, has a defensive wing option, which allows the players to, you know, pretty much like a like Lockie Hunter was for us. And, you know, in a different context, you know, I, I do still miss what he was able to bring to the table, um, of course, and, you know, it's just it's just what it is in, in this football sense. But yeah, good for him that at least he's got his you know his life on track and football going through, which is fantastic. But for for Porter, it's it's what we need because it allows the assurance for the mids to be able to be more attacking minded with their with their ball movements and, and their dare to go forward, you know. It means that they can trust that someone will cover for them. And that's again what Hunter provided and now Touchwood that uh, Walter can do that, and it's not just off the back of one game because we've seen him be able to do that for Footscray, you know, for the last six or so months, where he's mm. already acclimatised to what the system is meant to be, you know, and that's yeah. the benefit of having a reserves team that is effectively, you know, the AFL side as well, because you know, and he's already trained with a lot of these. He's played football with a lot of the AFL listed players, yeah, not just you know, they're not just reserve footballers, they're AFL listed blokes, but he knows what these guys are going to do. He knows, um, how would I say? not the traits that these guys possess, but he knows like, you know, which which step they're going to take, you know, which foot rolls after the other in that context. He knows what is going to happen and unfold because he's acclimatised to it. He knows what to expect from his teammates and they know what to expect from him. It was interesting that Polter only played 69% of, of the game. There's a couple of other players I've got to ask you about as well and then what you thought of their performances because I, I know you wanted to, I know this one in particular you want to talk about. I'll, I'll save that one for, for last. James O'Donnell, firstly, back in the side uh, as a result of the fact that, you know, no key defenders were, were fit. I, I think 
I think I had. I think I was told to just have the phone on standby and the boots ready, just in case Nick they were they were, they were that desperate. Oh, okay, for- okay, okay, that's pushing it. That's pushing. <laughs> I'd, I'd take my chances playing on other sides, man. I'd, I'd fancy it. Well, that 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 gives you an insight into how desperate they were for key backs. But James O'Donnell given an opportunity and locked into an opportunity this time around. Wasn't sort of just used all over the place. Took a nice intercept, Mark. I don't know about you. I still think there's. Well, I I don't think it, the the thought that there's a, a player in there has ever really changed. I think we just needed to be given an opportunity to see what is there. And he hasn't really been given that opportunity in his first few matches, but was afforded it at the weekend. And I, I think we got to see a bit more of, of what he can be. I was very pleased to see him play. I, mean, I think a lot of us were too. And it suits him. He's actually, not just because of this weekend, but, He's actually quite composed with ball in hand. You don't feel under pressure and that sort of things. I mean, he's, he's made some, you know, blues, I reckon. There was one which I was a little bit annoyed about with um, again, a, a decision a to, to pass the ball across the through. But that's more an execution side of things with the decision making, per se. So there's different levels of composure. And I'm talking, you know, there's composure by, you know, disposing of the ball or composure by uh, coping under, you know, different levels of pressure. I'm talking, you know, um, the perceived pressure or, or even just general pressure where players are coming on, you know, coming to you and what you do and that side of things. Sometimes, ironically, having too much choice can be another level of pressure because you don't know which option to take. You just get confused. It's like being in a car park with all these spots. Where, where the heck do you park? You know? <laughs> and that side of things. It's just not often there's an empty car park, but... Uh, not these days. No, uh, not not these days. No, this, uh, there's uh, not many car parks in England either. But... Um, <laughs> From what I can see, I reckon he will fit in very well, provided he keeps, uh, you know, on this trajectory. I think we've got ourselves a, um, and I'm more confident about this too. I think we've got ourselves a very, very, very fine second tall defender. A second, which will allow. Yeah, I think I think he's more of a second tall person. I think he can back himself into that and allows Buslinger to slot in as the third. Oh, that would be all right. Oh, no, I, I think it is. A, I think it is genuinely oh, a match now. now it's popping at the idea. Now we've got to just find out yes. the first ski defenders. <laughs> yeah, we've ne- yeah, we haven't got the first. We haven't got the first. We never have had the first. <laughs> we're working our way backwards. All right. And then the second one, Roy Lobb. Now, a bit of a, well, I, I think, uh, trying to figure out who had more of an impact on the game in the first half, you or Rory Lobb, Nick? I think I was uh, very instrumental from behind the goals. My... Uh, coaching advice and uh, you know text messages to Luke Beveridge paid off, I reckon, in the end. What but about his second half, it, though? You like that. I Yes, Brad and I definitely mentioned, not just the people will talk about the final quarter, but we noticed there was a fair bit of change in the third term. Now, again, we'll discuss the idea of what does he bring to the table. Well, and we've brought it up on, on occasions. Just think about it this way. When English is off the ground, who is going to ruck? It's not going to be Josh Dunkley. It's, he's not there anymore, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be Lin Jong, who's unfortunately not playing, but it's not going to be these makeshift options. Zane Cordy, a Josh Shackley, a Mitch Hannon, a Josh Bruce. We saw how bad that was last year. Mm-hmm. It's actually someone that has a clue. And for me alone, that is worth what, maybe not draft asset-wise, but salary-wise, salary is, is the money, okay? And the players have got to understand, what and is, I'm sure they do too, you know, you, what, what is there the roles would you still want it to be and i know we we mentioned this on the the ghost episode that happened and was recorded but you know time is 
Well, time was hard to find last week, let's just put it that way. Would you still want that role to be played by Lob? Or would you want to give it to Darcy? Darcy's got to uh, stop getting injured at the moment, but he played on the weekend, I think, too, or maybe the week before. Um, no, he did play. He did he, play on the on the weekend of the VFL. I, I oh, there we go. Right. He kicked three goals. Bukakamas kicked four. I mean, we talked about how great it was to see the Bulldogs kick accurately in front of goal sixteen six. Footscray did even better. They went seventeen six. It was our most accurate performance at the senior <laughs> level since round seven, I think, twenty fifteen. Coincidentally, oh. against the Dockers. Was that 14 so five that day we kicked or something like that? 14-4. 14-4. Dixon kicked seven. So when Dixon kicks half your goals, you generally tend to have an accurate day in front of the sticks. Carlos <laughs> kicked 4-1. Darcy kicked three straight. Singles to everyone else, including Don Bedendo, who is back. Well, well he's back. This is beautiful. Oh, Bender like Bedendo. We, so, we like this guy. He, so Darcy, like this Darcy or, or Lobb? Like I think still in the, in the frame of mind for winning a well, we still got a lot of work to do, um, but in the in the frame of mind for trying to get us to win this or to try to win a premiership this year, we brought Lob and uh, Jones when he gets back to at least close the gap as quickly as possible. Okay, and that is what he is there to do. Now we're very confident. Come the end of next year, I reckon, oh, maybe, well, probably maybe even possibly early, um, what, what's next year, 2024? Uh, 2025, I reckon that is when Darcy will effectively take Lob's spot. Now, that doesn't mean Darcy's not going to play football over the next two years in the seniors, but we'll see it at different levels, okay? And I'm pretty sure uh, Darcy knows his place at this point in time. And and I'm, I think the club understands what's, what's the thought process between this. And, you know, people might think, you know, we've got Lob off the back of the full hall against... Um, against us last year. But I'd like to think the clubs don't tend to do that. I'm pretty sure they would have had an eye on him. I think they had an eye on him a lot earlier um, than August last year or whatever that game was. I think we pretty much had our eye on him since the April, May point of the season from when it became you know apparent that there were considerations again. And no, I, I think what was very pleasing was off that seven goal burst that we had is that a lot of it ironically does come down to, I think to an extent, not Lobb's um, influence on it, but more his role in parts of these chains. And he featured, you know, it's not, we mentioned earlier this year, for instance, that's um, when English has come off the ground and that Port Adelaide game, unfortunately we, you know, we took English off, we took Bonson Pally off and then we crucially lost it in those respective clearance contests now, yeah. we got to see a different side where, again, the game was on the line and Lob kicked the goal to get us back into the, you know, get us back in the lead. And English was off the ground. Or he was in the fall. He, was, he wasn't in the ruck, though. They went, that's right, Team English was up in the forward line and Lob went into the ruck. And he was in the ruck for the next four or five centre bounces after that goal of his. So it shows that he's playing, playing then on high energy. And on confidence, it's just just, on confidence, it's very interesting to see because the boys got around him. But to see English, who is obviously meant to be the ruck, was in the forward line then and there when the game was still up for grabs, not Lob. And the team was able to get it done by those things because Lob was actually very competitive in that particular burst, and they hadn't used him a lot in the ruck for at that at a point in the game. But I think he did exceptionally well against uh, Sean Darcy, who's you know a, a man monster. And a fine, fine ruckman. 
Yeah. Uh, English lowered his colours, unfortunately, on the day, but that's no shame, to be honest. Darcy's a fantastic ruck, you know, out of out of rucks under the age of 24 or whatever it is, however old these guys are, ones that are still relatively in the uh, the youth of their footballing career, you know, well, six, think, seven, eight year. I, I think they're the two they're, they're best up rucks in the competition this year. Oh, no doubt. No Darcy doubt. and English. English is, I've, I've described often, English is the, the, the lock picker and Darcy is the sledgehammer. But they're two very contrasting styles of ruck but both equally effective. Mm. Now, they've both had different well, different rises, but on a similar trajectory, you know, they've sort of like alternated, I reckon, turns of dominance without, you know, throughout their courses of their career. You know, for six weeks, it's Darcy, and the next six weeks is probably going to be England, and they keep rotating that around across the competition. Who's the next superstar ruck? And... That doesn't mean English can't do it because he still tends to cop it a little bit against more physical rucks. And again, that's no shame because he's still got to keep um, getting gradually stronger and whatnot. But no, I think I think it was very impressive to see how Lobb went against Darcy in those stages there, and you know hold him down to only I think we don't think I don't think we considered a goal via those stoppages too when he featured in in that um, in that midfield role there. And uh, I think we got at least one or two from it. You know, even when he featured against uh, Josh Tracy as the second ruck. Imagine that. See, once Darcy came off, they had to throw a forward who's not accustomed to it. And then he ended up copying it. This was us last year. The shoe was on the other foot last mm, year. Yeah. Yeah, pretty happy. I think he's pretty happy with it. He's going at you know, a goal on a better game. He's doing his job, I reckon, personally. Could it could be more? Yeah, probably. But I don't think – I think his value will – Continue to grow as the season happens. You know, it's sort of like that phase, uh, that phrase, you know, for for matches. You know, talls don't get shorter as the game goes on, or whatever it is. Yeah. I think we will see Lobs value in the back half of the year. So let's get into the the questions as we do every week. Nick, we'll go into to the fan Q and A now. We've got to start with the important ones. Uh, Dan Cosson has, has sent through a few. Uh, start with this one though, the the most crucial of all. What's your position on the Bearstow dismissal? Now, it's, What's it's, my position on that? It's fascinating uh, that this I'm, I'm is all happening. pretty happy on this. This is all happening while you were about 20,000 feet in the air, I imagine. And there's just. I couldn't this, check a blinking thing, and understandably, this, but I couldn't under, I couldn't know what was happening. You, you land in England on a, on a plane that everyone knows has just arrived from Australia. What was the reception like from the Poms when, when you got there? Did they tell you to turn around and, and head back? or? Oh, there was a, a particular particular vocal was mentioned at that time. And, um, but. Uh, Look, loud and proud Aussies, you know, this is what it is. You know, winners are grinners. But now, what are my honest thoughts on that uh, section? I won't go too much. This is a football podcast, after all, or an American football podcast, uh, according to our, one of our other websites, anyhow. Um, now, look, it's it's the rules and it's it's what it is. If they were happy to cop it the previous day, well, sure as heck, they can cop it that day too. 2-0, um, that is all I will have to say. Very, very pleased about that. Oh, I was all, all, all I could think about when it was all happening was you. Because I, I knew, oh, yeah. if I, I was at the, you, if I was I knew, at the ground, someone yeah. would have killed me. I reckon. No, I, I, I knew you were on the plane at that time, and this was it was total chaos in terms of in the moment and in the hour afterwards and the lunch break, and you were on the plane up in the air, nonetheless, not knowing what was happening. <laughs> but the, oh, well, he's going to be in for quite a rude awakening when he lands eventually. <laughs> One of my mates literally mentioned. Nick's in the air and he's missed the best part of the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a few more from, from Dan. He's been doing a little listening to SEN in the past few days. So the first question 
Well, the first, uh, I suppose this is more of a, top, a talking point in the question. David King was on the air the other day, and he believes that the dogs haven't improved this year. And he's uh, he's, he's uh, managed to provide a bit of audio to that one. We, we can't play it. We, we won't. It's very interesting. I was maybe three metres away from David King when all of this was unfolding. So I was listening to this, and... He, he, yeah, and basically what he said was he doesn't think the dogs have improved on last year. Now, I mean, to define improvement, it's a bit like success. It can be measured in different ways and it can be subjective. The dogs have spent, what, I'd say about half of the season inside the top eight this year. If there's yep. 16 weeks, they've probably spent at least eight, maybe more. Probably, yep. probably still, more than that. They're still a... They're still a candidate. Not saying they will be, but they're still in the, you know, the fighting range of the top four, which is which is nice at least. Now to this no. point to this point last year, do you know how many weeks we'd spent inside the top eight? To this point last year, round sixteen. Uh, to, to round sixteen, oh jeez, I'll probably say two rounds maybe. One. And it was after the win against West Coast, where we won by hundred points. So oh, yeah, we were six that, and five and then we uh, dropped off then again. Yeah. Based off of that, I would say we've improved last season. We're much we're in the eight much more. We're close to the top four. That's probably more of a comparison to everybody else, though. So maybe the competition has just got worse as opposed to us getting better. You could argue that. The other thing, though, I would say is that if you took the best 22 we had last year and it played against the best 22 of this year, who would win? I think it's a pretty yeah, obvious I... answer. I think it has to be the 2023 crew. Maybe its strengths are not as strong. I mean, they were fifth in the competition for points for last year. They're not at those sort of heights this time around. But I think this team is far more balanced. Far more balanced. Particularly with the additions of... And I know Lobb has had his moments this year. I think he helps other people. That's his contribution in terms of he helps English, he helps Eugle Hagen, he helps Norton. Liam Jones does, is in the best 22 Does English year. have an AA season if Lobb is not there? Maybe. Maybe, but I think his credentials aren't as strong. But I, I don't think I don't think English's season is all on law. I think we saw English improve a lot last year on twenty twenty one, and I think he's improved again on twenty twenty two. So I, there's no doubt I think English would still be having a very good season. Would it be all Australian caliber? Maybe, but yeah, I, I don't think it would be as convincing. I think it it be it be a question of is he rather than a statement of he is. Hmm. It can work. It can hmm. work. Now, I, I think we're both in unison, of course, 2023, and not just structurally, but uh, it seems like, you know, we've got a bit more of a, a bit more of a clue. Last year was just, oh, geez, that was agony. <laughs> that was it was. Most of the year. Uh, Dan wanted to know about Jamara's ceiling. I think we've, we've touched on that a fair bit already earlier in the... Yeah, I've the already, program. I've mentioned that I mean, people have mentioned Franklin before. I've thrown in Jeremy Cameron there. Um, <laughs> I, what I wanted to mention as well is that uh, for him, I mentioned to you regarding Norton being, you know, a potential captain. Um, I can definitely see Jamar within the next two seasons minimum um, featuring in the leadership group. Leadership group? You know, well, he's, mean... seen as, he's seen as Bont's little brother in that yep. sense. And it's amazing to see that the chemistry that they have, Bont delivering the ball to Jamar in the forward line, it's, it's wonderful. It's a good look, isn't it? It's uh, a beautiful look, seriously. Jez Dog has a good question. And it's about this week's game against Collingwood. And I suppose a couple of other people have asked it as well. Will Nick Dacos hit 50 disposals? Seriously, how do we slow him down? 
never doesn't tag, and I don't even know who would be able to go with him. I'm oh, sorry, that's beautiful. That that's, that's a question. fantastic question. All right, okay. Like, the note to self. Okay, Nick, uh, I'm gonna have to. How many trades have I got? I've got nine trades left. Uh, let's bring in Dacos and make him captain. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? With Jest, Dacos could hit, get fifty disposals against us because we are historically a non-tagging side, and he's done what he is pleased against all who have come before him, and it's. Um, was it, did Dacos miss last year's game against us or was it Ginevan? Ginevan definitely did. Did Dacos miss it as well? I don't think so. As much as I'm in another country, huffer around the world to watch the Ashes, I am very filthy that the game is going to be played at the same time that the second day starts. I'm so pissed at that. You know what? I'm working on this game as well, so I won't be able to attend. But I'm, okay, so I'm, I'm, we're, okay, next week's episode is reliant on your what you were able to watch, okay? So <laughs> okay. I can't take it. Uh, it. Honestly, you know what? Dacos actually did play against us in that game against uh, Conley last year. He had 21 touches. He'll have at least double that this time around if we don't tag you, which we won't. You know what? Edge your bets, 40 or more. <laughs> 40, oh, gamble, gamble is more You know what? i got a feeling about Friday night. You know, you know when you yeah, have it's a gonna, feeling? It, it's going it to be either a ridiculously brilliant match or a bloodbath. <laughs> I reckon it's going to go one way or the other. Well, you just have one of those ones, when you just have one of those feelings about a game where logically it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But there's just something that's nagging away at you that tells it's, you it's, it's going to happen. It's the gut, the gut feel, and that's what the, the instinct, you know, and that's what people need to listen to more often. I reckon. But, like historically, uh, Collingwood and the Bulldogs have been reasonably well matched. We beat them last year pretty comfortably. We beat them in 2021 by a couple of goals, but I'd, I'd say the scoreline probably flattered Collingwood. They caught us on a bad day in 2020. We played them twice in 2019, and both times Collingwood just shaded us. I think, was, I think both times they only beat us by nine points. They, and we were, we were yep. very well positioned to beat them. We've been a side that since Luke Beveridge has come in, and probably the, the game before then, 2014 as well, where we just beat them, we've actually matched up pretty well against Collingwood over a very long period of time. That they seem to, We seem to be a side that they really struggle to put away. It's by the 2018 match. Well, even that one, we there hasn't been any... a couple of goals at halftime. And then we just got destroyed. <laughs> and then we got destroyed. Oh, but, but like generally, we've been pretty. We've matched with Collingwood pretty well, and it's going to be a huge mm. game for the the club. The the estimations are that there'll be fifty thousand people there, which we've not we've not had fifty thousand people at a ground for a long time. I, I think if we get fifty thousand, it, it catapults into the top four highest attended Bulldogs can, home games. Can you save me a virtual cease, please? <laughs> I think they're I'll just, just leave some space, please. I've got a feeling, though, Nick. I do have a feeling about this one. Oh. I don't know if you do, but there's just something that's saying, yeah, this, I, I, reckon the dogs, I reckon the dogs can do this. This is a game... Look, we, we threw away a couple of matches, like in the... Not the port one, but uh, we've had our colours lowered. This yeah. is a chance to get one you know, back. Regain, yeah, get, get one back. This is if we are, if we are what we want to be. We need to show that we're genuinely up for this. Regardless, I'm yeah. saying we lose, but I'm just stating we need to show but, we can hold our heads up very high. This is we got to show yeah. and throw a lot of punches. This is winnable. Seriously, I reckon. Th this is. Um, a, this is I've a, been convinced by the Pies football 
as of late. Admittedly, they torched the Suns, but which was very impressive to say the least. Oh, but I haven't yeah, been as were... impressed by them the last month. Okay, so but I think they are gettable. The 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 ones I'd say to watch out for for Collingwood, like obviously Dacos, but I think Elliot and Hill up forward are going to be the ones that are going to cause us a bit of problem. That they don't really have. Key forwards, I know Mason Cox plays there a bit. Dan Mix, they might come back. My check is out. They don't generally have too many tall options, and that's been our problem in the past, but I think Elliot and Hill are going to be ones we have to, to really worry about. Mm-hmm. You reckon we drop a tall defender? Mm, maybe. Who are the three back there? Keith, Gardner, and O'Donnell? Possibly one of them. Yes. But, like, who would you bring in? I suppose a good option, if he does get up, would be Ed Richards. He'd be a very welcome inclusion, both for his defensive acumen and for his offensive rebound. In fact, there's a few you know people what? who will pose that question. Uh, some going with the, well, if Ed Richards is available, who comes out? And uh, that, that one's actually from Angus Ferguson, who makes way for Ed Richards. And Mitch Wind poses the question, is, is are we bringing Richards back too soon? Oh. I personally don't think so, to be honest. I think it, would, this would it, be, would it be Gardner for Richards, or would it be mm. O'Donnell for Richards? Some people have suggested Polter. I, I don't think so. They're too. Uh, we need the defensive players. wing. We need to need to make the most of this. Well, I think that that one seems that one seems like a Polter for Baker or Polter or Baker type of decision. I I don't think he's making way for anybody else, and I don't think he's coming in for anybody else. Hmm. They're still in the works for Baker, of course, um, getting that contract extension, aren't they? Yeah. yeah uh, sorting those things out too. Yeah. Interesting that that's sort of come around at about the same time that he's been dropped. So, yeah, I'd, I would think I would think Richards for Gardner probably. I don't think it dropped Keith. Hmm. Are you like O'Donnell no, as a second defender? I think he, in terms of for these role, I reckon it. Might be suitable, but maybe not this week. Perhaps anyone we'll else? To see. I like any other changes. I don't think you make many. Uh, maybe no, maybe maybe West minutes. for Hannon. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting options at the moment. Um, I'm excited, uh, and I'm going to try I'm trying my best to find a way to be able to watch the game despite being at Headingley. So, uh, if anyone's got any ideas, please throw that onto <laughs> the uh, onto the Twitter feed and. Now, I know people will say KO and all the all VPNs and whatnot, whatever it is, but uh, I don't know if this is the most appropriate of actions. So, uh, any other ideas, please? I'll, I'll let you know. But, uh, we'll get to that. I'll let you know. And uh, another positional change, another swap is Karmas for Lola. I don't think – I wouldn't mind giving Karmas an opportunity, but I don't see that one happening. Um, if Karmas was able to grow an extra 20 centimetres, perfect. <laughs> yes, yes. Perfect. Uh, yeah, well, well, um, well, we'll see how you go with making that. I know or 10 centimetres more so, but yeah. I know you're working on the cloning device. So maybe yeah, the cloning, cloning device, device, the stretcher, everything's on the back burner at the moment. There's the stretcher just coming in too, okay? So yeah. it's, it's working, okay? That we've just fixed up Jamara's, uh, you know, hands at the moment. So now he's got his marking yep. technique, is all sorted. It's perfect. The cloning device is constantly malfunctioning at, the, at this point in time. So and, we need to have more bonds. And like you got to stay in your crease, laces just have to face the goal. That's what I'd say to the, the – I mean, the Poms may, may may not be very good at winning, but they're very, very good at whinging. If you stay in your crease, you won't get stumped. It's pretty simple stuff. I think on that note, though, Indeed. we are going to leave it for another episode of, of the Salty Bulldog. Uh, of course, 
The podcast is available for oh, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all podcast outlets, wherever you get them from. There are social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Salty Bulldog TV. I'm sure when we're both back in the country, we'll be able to do it again. I would advise yeah. Bulldog fans just to keep an eye out on the socials because there is something special that's on the in the pipelines, hopefully on the way this week. So just keep eyes and ears peeled on that one. Nick from Manchester. Been great having you on. Uh, try not to disclose your your, your nationality uh, to too great an extent this week. I, I'm sure Poms aren't too uh, still aren't very happy. Oh, I think I'm in deep trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful. Well, we'll, we'll leave you to face the swing the, the sweet tune music, but just make sure you stay in your crease, all right? Indeed. All good, guys. Wonderful stuff. Best of luck, doggies, this week. I am so jealous at the same time we're going to be missing out on it despite being in another country. Oh, it's going to be an almighty clash. I can't wait for it. Of course, we'll be back next week. Thank you to all of those who have tuned in, wherever you've tuned in around the world, and I, I mean that uh, more so this week than most. We look forward to having you join us again next week, dogs fans. But until then, take care.